tonight, class canceled. A prominent Vancouver University is the target of possible arson. Plus, there are people willing to be arrested. Protest preparations, why commuters could face a traffic nightmare in downtown Vancouver tomorrow. And these people have a right to see this report. Why hasn't a report on safety issues at the Trans Mountain Terminus been released? You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening, thanks for joining us. Just weeks into the new school term and thousands of students and staff at a Vancouver University are waiting to find out if there will be classes tomorrow after their campus was targeted by a possible arsonist. Grace Key joins us from Emily Carr University with more. Grace, what happened? Well, it looks like an arsonist was uh, busy at work here over the weekend. Just a few minutes ago, the last of the restoration vehicles uh, did pull out of here. We just checked the website as well. No word yet whether or not classes are going to be opening up tomorrow. But Vancouver police are confirming that there was a break and enter here, and they are investigating an arson. We did see a door just at the back of the building that uh, had been boarded up. It looked like the glass had been smashed out there. Like I said, a restoration company had been here over the weekend making repairs to the building. The campus has been closed over the weekend. The fire broke out early Saturday morning. We're told it was a small fire. No one was hurt and there was limited damage. The areas most impacted are the research and industry office and painting and drawing studios on the fourth, uh, fourth level. There's also water damage in other areas. There's signs uh, around the building just advising students about the closure but we are being told that if you are a student here, uh, it's best to check the website, the school website, and they should have an update on whether or not they're going to be opening no later than 6 o'clock tomorrow morning. Still very early on in this investigation and no word yet exactly how the fire started. Colleen? All right, Grace, thank you. Commuters are bracing for a traffic nightmare tomorrow. Climate activists plan to stage major blockades on bridges across the country, including in Vancouver and Victoria. It's a situation that has some questioning their methods. Jordan Armstrong joins us now with more on the Extinction Rebellion's plans. Jordan. Colleen, if you take the Burrard Bridge in Vancouver or the Johnson Street Bridge in Victoria, here's what you need to know. Protesters plan to occupy the Burrard beginning at 8.30 tomorrow morning and close it to vehicle traffic for the rest of the day. A group called Extinction Rebellion is behind all of this. They say the closed crossing will be used to stage musical performances, art, drumming and speeches. And while vehicles won't be allowed to pass, the span will remain open, they say, to cyclists and pedestrians. Vancouver police say officers will be on duty to monitor the situation and, quote, help facilitate peaceful and lawful protest and restore order if the event becomes violent or unlawful. Now, critics of the protest say causing vehicles to reroute and idle in traffic is a bizarre way to flight fight climate change. You'll hear from an opponent, but first, one of the organizers. So we understand that this will create some additional emissions, but there must be a small cost to really pushing forward with systemic change. The pollution, just like individual action, is just a small part of the overall puzzle. I understand the point that they have. As I said, the point is to bring attention to the climate crisis, but they're not going about it the right way. Extinction Rebellion is planning action in about 60 cities worldwide. The group was behind this stunt last week. 
activists lost control of a fire hose while spraying fake blood on the U.K. Treasury. Protesters say they want elected leaders to, quote, tell the truth about climate change, act immediately, and defer to decisions of a citizens' assembly on climate issues. As I mentioned, there will also be a demonstration in Victoria. The Johnson Street Bridge will be closed to vehicle traffic from 3.30 p.m. to 7.30 p.m., Though just like in Vancouver, they're saying pedestrians and cyclists will still be allowed to cross. Colleen? All right, Jordan, thanks for that. It's been more than two years since a study looking into fire suppression safety concerns at the Trans Mountain Terminus in Burnaby was completed. There have been calls to have those findings released, but as Paul Johnson reports, the NDP candidate for Burnaby North Seymour claims federal officials have been stonewalling its release. In January, a fire destroyed these structures on Burnaby Mountain, just a few hundred meters from Trans Mountain's oil tank farm. The tanks weren't damaged, but it brought new attention to their ability to fight a fire. Now, new documents obtained by Global News show that the federal regulator of pipelines had commissioned an expert report on just that question. They say... The report identified a number of potential deficiencies relating to fire response. So what exactly is in the report? That's a good question. I made a, a formal request. I asked to see the, uh, the report, uh, and uh, that was in July. Sven Robinson is the NDP candidate for the riding that's home to the facility. And he says voters should be able to see that report before they go to the poll. They have thrown up every possible barrier. They've said, well, this law and that law. We make sure pipeline companies meet strict requirements to keep Canadians and the environment safe. The report is being held back by the Canada Energy Regulator, formerly the National Energy Board, who say the holdup is because of due diligence they have to follow under the Access to Information Law. We reached out to the other candidates in that riding. Only the Green Party was available. It definitely seems like something that the public should have access to. I'm questioning that they are giving reasons of just the Freedom of Information Act as a reason to not have it out. This is why fire response at that terminal is more important than ever. This is University City at SFU. It didn't exist at the time that tank farm was built. Now there's many thousands of people who live and work here. For Robinson... The government's explanation is hard to swallow. As one of the MPs who helped to write Canada's access to information law, he says this isn't the way government transparency is supposed to work. There's no question that the Canada Energy Regulator is working hand in glove with Trans Mountain. They're stonewalling this thing. They don't want the report to come out, which begs the question, what's in that report? In Burnaby, Paul Johnson, Global News. Just one day before the federal leaders face off in the English language debate, and while some leaders spent the day prepping, others made a few campaign stops. Liberal leader Justin Trudeau began his day in a community just outside of Belleville, Ontario, where he planted trees at a nature conservancy. But he was on the hot seat over a candidate in Atlantic Canada who had to apologize for his past sexist and racist comments on social media. Jamie Baptiste wrote, Why do I assume every skinny Aboriginal girl is on crystal meth or pills? The Conservatives just got rid of a candidate, Heather Leung, in Burnaby North Seymour for offensive comments she made several years ago. But today, Trudeau expressed no desire to drop Batiste. Mr. Batiste took responsibility for his actions and apologized. 
The NDP's Jagmeet Singh took time away from preparing for tomorrow's debate for a photo op with former party leader Ed Broadbent at a farmer's market in Ottawa. It's Singh's first nationally televised debate in English as federal leader. Broadbent offered up his thoughts on how Singh will do. I'm not exactly an expert in French, but I followed the debate the whole time, and he did superbly, and if he repeats that, he'll be a winner for sure. He's the expert here. He said, be myself, so I'm going to try my best. But what we've really tried to do in this campaign is to be the voice for people. A lot of people feel like they're not being heard. And Keith Baldry joins us now. Keith, this is the only major English language debate of this campaign. How important Mm -hmm. do you think it is? Well, I think it's quite important, given the, the polls suggest this is really a close race between the Liberals and the Conservatives. Historically, it usually gets a pretty big audience. Now, six candidates on the stage, five moderators over two hours. We'll just see how unwieldy it is and whether anybody can land a knockout punch. That usually doesn't happen anymore. Everybody is sort of over-scripted and over-prepared. Uh, there's not necessarily a, a magical soundbite that comes out of it. But one of the interesting things is there's, there's different fights going on here. Uh, you've got uh, Mr. Scheer and Mr. Trudeau, because one of them is going to be the Prime Minister. They're at one level, but you've also got the battle for third place between the NDP and the Green Party and potentially even the Bloc Québécois. And Stuart Press, SFU's political scientist, picks up on that point, what I call the undercard tomorrow night. We would expect him to continue to make that case and to try to uh, uh, compete against the Greens, where we have this strong rivalry uh, between the Greens and the NDP for third place. The NDP seem to have uh, a little bit more uh, of a lead in that regard, um, but they're going to have to continue to work on that. And Keith, Keith, you're going to be pretty busy. The B.C. legislature resumes sitting tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Ginny Sims' resignation has got to be top of mind there. Oh, I think so. We're going to have our first question period tomorrow. Ginny Sims, of course, resigning out of the blue late Friday afternoon after being informed that she's the subject of an RCMP investigation along with others as a special prosecutor now in charge of that. So she's out of cabinet. The session begins tomorrow, runs for five weeks. We caught up with BC Liberal leader Andrew Wilkinson. Sure enough, he expects this to be prime fodder for the Liberals going into the House tomorrow. An NDP cabinet minister has resigned because of a criminal investigation and we want to know who else is being investigated, what have the NDP done about this because we raised it six months ago and did they protect the evidence or they let it get wiped out? So again, as I mentioned, the House resumes tomorrow, goes for five weeks. Plenty of, I think, to talk about. A lot of issues coming to the fore. I talked to the NDP House Leader uh, Mike Farmer today over the phone. He tells me there's probably about a dozen pieces of legislation. Nothing terribly contentious, but I think question period is going to be pretty lively over the next few weeks. Colleen? All right. Thanks for that, Keith. And as we mentioned, party leaders will square off tomorrow in the English federal leaders debate. Global Nationals Donna Friesen is one of the moderators. Global News will air it live tomorrow afternoon starting at 4 o'clock. We'll also have a post-debate special with in-depth analysis of the major highlights. That's on BC One and online at globalnews.ca. The BCSPCA is releasing more details about their raid to bust an alleged cockfighting ring. An agency says no birds were seized, but evidence was taken from the property near 166th and 50th Avenue in Surrey. It's being processed to determine if a criminal offense was committed. They say it's too early to name any individuals or recommend charges. If convicted of animal fighting, penalties include a fine of up to $10,000 and up to five years in jail. The criminal code was recently expanded to include assisting, promoting and receiving money from the fighting of birds. 
A patient in the Salmon Arm area got a big surprise when he opened an envelope from Interior Health. It contained someone else's private information. As Jules Knox reports, the response from the health authority is cold comfort. This is all someone else's whoops, personal information, record of medications. Marina Johnson was shocked when her husband received an envelope from Interior Health with somebody else's medical records. It just makes me sick. It, uh, you know, he's stressed out, I'm stressed out. I'm sure this person would be horrified. Johnston says her husband had been waiting for a specialist's referral and needed to fill out some forms. These are her answers. Somebody's taken another person's file and has stapled it to the cover letter for my husband. Johnston says the forms were mailed out by the Salmon Arm Health Medical Centre. They show what should be highly confidential information about the patient's medical condition. Date of birth, address, uh, medications for whatever is ailments this person is suffering, um, a lot of personal information. Six, seven pages altogether. Johnston is concerned about the carelessness of the mistake and wants to see more measures put in place to ensure it doesn't happen again. I felt, well, if we have another person's information, who has ours? Interior Health refused to do an on-camera interview, but in a statement said that from the beginning of April until the end of September, there have been 22 confirmed privacy breaches and that it takes every case seriously. It also says it will be investigating this case and provide education and training to the people and department involved. Jules Knox, Global News. A popular Halloween attraction in the Fraser Valley is facing the end tonight. Fantasy Farms has been hosting a kid's pumpkin patch and haunted house for more than a quarter century. But its owners say agricultural land reserve rules are shutting the family fun down. As Kristen Robinson reports, there's been a lot of government finger pointing, but very little action. For more than 25 years, Gary Moran's farm has been driving a Chilliwack tradition but it may soon be stopped in its tracks. Every single farm in BC that does what I do is in jeopardy. Fantasy Farms hosts an annual haunted house and kids pumpkin patch, including a bouncy castle. The seasonal attractions held indoors for years before the farm says changes to agricultural land reserve rules in 2016 meant no existing buildings could be used. When your 3D glasses on, everything in this room kind of moves on its own. With the city's support, they applied to the ALC to grandfather the use of greenhouses for Halloween and holiday non-farm use in the ALR. This past spring, they were denied. One single word, refused, as applied for. And that was it. Moran says the city recently got a complaint about his farm and advised him to either skip the Christmas event or face fines of up to five grand a day starting November 1st. It would be a crying shame not to have them. I'm a teacher and we come here every year and it would be hard on the kids not to be able to do this. BC's Agriculture Ministry says the government is currently considering whether changes are needed to the old rules to better support producers while protecting the ALR. This could be the, this could be the, final, the final year of Reapers as we know it. Fantasy says the ALC chair is now reviewing their case but potentially seeing his family's 25-year labor of love disappear, still scary. 
to me, we're the ambassadors of farming because we allow people to come on our farms and we embrace that. Kristen Robinson, Global News. An update on a story we first brought you last night. The Tofino Food and Wine Festival is blaming bureaucracy for killing its 18th event next year. Organizers of the annual event at the Tofino Botanical Gardens say they felt the liquor and cannabis regulation branch was targeting them, even though they say they complied with all the rules. This year, the festival paid an estimated $5,000 extra for a license. Organizers say they provided shuttle service on an enclosed private property with nine security guards, but were later fined now $9,000 by the liquor board. We had to apply three different times to get it. And every time we had to reapply, we just weren't being met with very much support. Um, and we, it just wasn't, it wasn't uh, helpful. It felt like the liquor board was working against us. And for the last 16 years, it hasn't been that way. And then in September, we were served with a notice of enforcement in action uh, with enormous fines and, um, you know, basically basically asking us to to sign something that says, uh, you know, we endangered public safety, which we completely, completely disagree with. Tofino Food and Wine Fest is fighting the fine. The ministry responsible for the LCRB isn't commenting, citing privacy reasons. Well, Santa is swapping his sleigh for a motorcycle today. The annual motorcycle toy ride kicked off at the Coquitlam Center earlier this morning before making its way to the Peony grounds. Thousands revved up their engines to help give toys to the Lower Mainland Christmas Bureau for kids in need. The event is one of the largest toy runs in Canada, helping nearly 1,000 families. We got gifts to over 2,000 children. All the gifts that come into us, we share with all the other Christmas bureaus. And last year, we assisted 64 other bureaus in helping children at Christmas time. It's a big deal for us, absolutely. A giraffe calf born less than a week ago at the Calgary Zoo has died. In a statement posted to social media, the zoo says, we knew when he was born so tiny that it would be an uphill battle, but had high hopes that the love of his mama and around the clock care from our team would be enough to help him begin to thrive. The calf's mother, Amara, had three previous pregnancies, but two ended in miscarriages and a third produced a calf that died within 48 hours. A necropsy will be performed to determine the cause of death. A second whistleblower has come forward to accuse President Donald Trump of using the power of his office to encourage Ukraine's leaders to interfere in the 2020 elections. An attorney representing both whistleblowers says the second one has first-hand knowledge of the president's actions. Attorney Andrew Bakai tweeted his firm is now representing two whistleblowers who have come forward with information about President Trump's dealings with Ukraine. Bukai tells the Associated Press the second whistleblower has firsthand knowledge that supports the original whistleblower's complaint. It alleges the president asked Ukraine's president to investigate President Trump's chief political rival, former Vice President Joe Biden, in exchange for military aid. The complaint triggered an impeachment inquiry led by House Democrats. The president says he did nothing improper and late last week took it a step further. China should start an investigation into the Bidens. The president defended himself in numerous tweets over the weekend and several congressional Republicans stood behind him. I think the president, when he's when he's trying to decide how American tax dollars are going to be spent and what countries they're actually going to go to, it's his job to make sure there's not corruption. Democrats argue the summary of the phone call and the whistleblower complaint point to quid pro quo. 
my focus is on the fact that you've got a president that's acting like a global gangster. He is basically uh, going to one leader after another, trying to get dirt on his political opponent. I consider that a violation of our laws. Biden is also hitting back. Over the weekend, he wrote in the Washington Post, I'm not going anywhere. You won't destroy me and you won't destroy my family. Meg Oliver, CBS News, New York. Police in Kansas City are looking for two suspects who opened fire inside a bar overnight, killing four people and injuring five others. Authorities say two men got into a disagreement earlier in the evening and at about 1.30 this morning returned with handguns. About 40 people were inside at the time. The gunfire sent people running for the exits. The man accused of killing four homeless men in New York City appeared in court today. 24-year-old Randy Rodriguez Santos faces multiple murder charges and one charge of attempted murder, accused of bludgeoning four homeless men to death and critically injuring another while they slept on the sidewalk. Police say Santos is also homeless. He's been arrested at least six times in the past two years. The anti-government protests in Hong Kong took another dark turn today. A taxi driver mowed down protesters who were opposing a recent ban on face masks. The driver swerved into the crowd, crashing his car. He was then swarmed and badly beaten. The incident is being labeled the most violent scene the movement has seen since it started in June. Serious questions are being raised tonight about who should be granted diplomatic immunity. It stems from a highway crash in Great Britain that killed an English motorcyclist. Police want to question the wife of an American diplomat for her role in the collision, but she's left the country. Tonight, Charlotte Charles and Tim Dunn want justice. We've been left with a family that's broken. We've got no answers. We've got no... Nothing from her to say that she's remorseful. Not only have they lost their 19-year-old son, Harry, the woman driving the car that killed him may never be held to account. According to British police, she's identified only as a 42-year-old American woman, the wife of a U.S. diplomat. She recently left the country claiming diplomatic immunity. We're appalled, disgusted. We haven't started to grieve properly yet because nothing's at rest. Outside London, not far from a U.S. military base, Dunn was riding his motorbike. According to British police, the suspect was driving on the wrong side of the same road. The two collide, killing Dunn. You want to see justice? Of course, of yeah. course. And we, what we does justice to. mean to you? Well, I think she, she needs to come back. We can't see how she can't come back. British authorities asked the U.S. Embassy to waive the suspect's immunity. But the U.S. Embassy declined. A spokesperson for the embassy tells NBC, any questions regarding a waiver of the immunity with regard to our diplomats and their family members overseas in a case like this receives intense attention at senior levels. Immunity is rarely waived. The British Foreign Secretary says he's called the U.S. ambassador to express his disappointment with the decision not to waive the suspect's immunity and urged him to reconsider. No word on if that's happening. Aaron McLaughlin, NBC London. For some guests at Walt Disney World in Florida, it was not the happiest place on earth. 
Last night, they were stranded for hours on board the theme park's newly launched aerial cable car system. First responders were called to the park when Disney Skyliner cable cars became stuck. Firefighters had to lift some people from gondolas to bring them back to the ground. Disney says one line of the new system was affected by an extended outage. Disney says there were no reports of injuries, no word yet on what caused the power failure. Nearly a month to the day after Hurricane Dorian caused a crane to collapse in downtown Halifax, another crane has been brought in to help remove the wreckage. The toppled crane is still being stabilized. Once that's completed, the newly installed crane will be one of two used to lift the midsection of the tower off the building. An Okanagan RCMP officer plans to stay awake for two and a half days as he walks more than 200 kilometers. He's doing it to raise awareness about PTSD, and as Megan Turcato found out, it's a cause that's very personal for him. Sergeant Rob Ferrer started walking Sunday morning, and he doesn't plan to stop his trek till Tuesday night. This is no normal stroll on the rail trail. The veteran RCMP officer is walking to create more awareness of the impact PTSD can have on first responders. We can be traumatized just like anybody else and when you see it repeatedly, although there's training, sometimes we, we feel like we should hold on to that and not, not be affected. Um, and the reality is we're people um, just like anybody else and that stuff affects people. For Ferrer, the cause is personal. I've been an RCMP officer for 19 years, so I know a lot of people who have been affected by PTSD. Uh, and I've known several who have unfortunately taken their own lives or had to retire early because they've been afflicted by it. You see a lot of things that, and you're exposed to a lot of horrible things uh, repeatedly and, and they affect people differently. Indeed, Ferrer's walk comes after an Ottawa police officer died in an apparent suicide in late September. The North Okanagan sergeant encouraging police officers and other first responders to seek help when they need it. Absolutely, there's a, a culture of toughness, which is part of what I want to get people talking about and, and realizing that, that it's, it's far better and tougher to go sometimes and seek that help. And you're not doing yourself any favors or your family or your loved ones or anybody that you work with by holding things in. Money raised from the walk is being donated to a Canadian charity that gives veterans and first responders trained service dogs. Megan Turcato, Global News, near Lake Country. What a voice. We have an update on the story of a homeless opera singer, and it's good news. We're going to have that right after the forecast, but first... Have a look at this. A man was rushed to hospital in Texas after he was struck by lightning. The 27-year-old was walking his three dogs during a storm when a bolt struck, sending him toppling to the ground. His dogs ran off unhurt and a neighbor called for help. The man's shoes were blown off and his clothes were scorched. His family says his condition is improving and he's now able to walk. Yvonne, I don't know if he was really lucky or if he was really unlucky. <laughs> yes, I'm not sure. Wow. But it's a reminder, lightning is an underrated killer and when you hear the thunder, go indoors. But mm -hmm. it really mm -hmm. is one of those underrated ones we don't talk enough about. So that was a video just to illustrate that. Okay, we're not seeing that though today. Uh, we have been seeing some nice breaks. We sort of bookended the weekend, but we are tracking a change. We've been advertising it and we are going to see some rain moving in and heavy at times for our Monday morning commute. Right off the bat though, here's a shot 
shot of English Bay. We've got some light rain already pushing its way in across the airport, sitting at 11 degrees with a light northwesterly wind at 9 kilometers per hour. Wanted to show some great photos that were sent in this weekend. This was a sunrise this morning sent in from Steve in Mission. A great shot. We had some fog patches out there, and this was shot from um, Allison in New Westminster. Another shot, Jay was out there this afternoon golfing. He's been golfing both days, and it was fantastic. Uh, but for tomorrow, if you've got a tea time, I'll show you why you might want to bump that. 13 as the high today. The average for this time of the year sits closer to 15 degrees. Here's what we're tracking. A couple of systems. We've already got that moisture, the one to the south, bringing the rain across the south coast. It'll intensify, especially late this evening and continuing for the morning hours. The other system for the northern half of the province will see rainfall overnight and for tomorrow, a little bit of instability and even the risk of a thunderstorm. So overnight by the, our morning commute, we'll see that rainfall. Most of the interior, it's an increase in cloud cover for the morning hours, a chance of showers. And then by the afternoon, it does start to pick up with some heavier rainfall. South Coast will ease off by Tuesday, but there is still some instability for the interior for your Tuesday, Wednesday. Rainfall totals ranging between 10 and potentially up to 20 millimeters. Higher amounts will be into Whistler with up to 25 by the end of the day tomorrow. The piece for the early morning hours, a chance of flurries or showers and then a nice break both Tuesday, Wednesday. Most areas near Whitehorse have eased off. We've had snowfall. The weather story that we're following overnight tonight will be the wind chill that that's closer to minus 9. North coast tomorrow, instability, risk of a thunderstorm, 5 and up to 10 millimeters of rainfall. Caribou and central interior also see that for the afternoon. A northerly wind, gusts of up to 40 kilometers per hour. Columbia and Kootenai unsettled with the chance of showers. A break midweek, but cooling off on Wednesday at 7. Thompson, Okanagan will be seeing a few on and off showers. A drop in temperatures pushing in with that cold front on Tuesday. Whistler showers, rainfall by the afternoon. Afternoon tomorrow, highs up to 10 degrees, and along the island, we'll continue to see that rain for this evening. For the morning, breaks especially across eastern sections and along the Sunshine Coast will pick up by the afternoon. Wednesday, midweek, we're up to 13 degrees. So your school day forecast heading out the front door, rain and heavy at times. Lunch hour, it should start to break up. I anticipate we'll see a few breaks out there even late in the day in the afternoon. Highs tomorrow up to 13 degrees. Pleasant on Wednesday, a very slight chance to see an isolated shower, and it's going to cool down a heads up or overnight lows with the clear skies on our Wednesday. Thursday will be hovering the freezing mark. Tomorrow, though, a mild one with up to 14. Colleen? What a nice stretch. Thanks, Yvonne. Well, you could call it the power of social media. How dare I step on her? A homeless woman who went viral for singing in a Los Angeles metro station performed for a live audience this weekend and not in a subway station. 52-year-old Emily Zamorka appeared on stage during the Little Italy celebration in San Pedro, California. A GoFundMe page has raised nearly $30,000, which will go towards helping her find long-term housing and towards buying her a new violin. A Los Angeles city councillor is assisting in that process. The Russian-born singer and violinist was forced onto the streets two years ago when the $10,000 violin she busked with was destroyed by a vandal. 
Isn't it nice to have a happy ending to a story <laughs> now and then? Once in a while Once we do that around here, not yes. too often. We should do it more. We should do it more. Uh, happy ending to your vacation. Welcome yeah. back. Welcome back. It's been a back. while, I know. I've had a sabbatical, it almost feels like. <laughs> I'm not sure if I remember how to do this, but uh, we'll talk a little Whitecaps. Their season ended today, which right. it kind of ended like months ago, but it officially <laughs> ended today. Uh, so we'll look at their uh, final game against Real Salt Lake. A look back to the Lions, who are... Really finishing strong. Is it too little, too late? And uh, Canucks still looking for a win. So it's early yet. Yeah, it is very early. <laughs> the season just it's very, began. very early. That's right. Two of eighty-two. You never know. Exactly. We'll cut them some yeah. slack. Did you get any uh, golf in while you were away? Oh, a little bit. A little here and there. Took a you know, a lot of shots. When you pay that much for golf, you gotta <laughs> you gotta do gotta it. Take a couple hundred strokes. Yeah. All right. Thanks very much, uh, Colleen. The Whitecaps season mercifully came to an end today at BC Place. This was a season of change for the Caps. New coach, plenty of new players. What we found out was that many of those new players just weren't good enough. That's why the Caps finished last in the West. That means even more changes for next season for Mark DeSantos. Today they finished against playoff-bound Real Salt Lake at BC Place. Players have kind of been playing for their jobs for next year for the past few months. First half, RSL opened the scoring, cross into the box, headed in by Demir Krylak. No chance for Max Cropeau, 1-0 RSL. Moments later, they're back for more. Deflected shot, hits the post. Rebound, fired wide. Whitecaps escape one there, but 1-0 at the half. Second half, Caps' best chance on this cross. Theo Bear to Michael Chirinos. Header headed inside the far post, but the veteran Nick Romando at full stretch keeps it out. Caps fall 1-0, finish 8-16-10, last in the West. Coach Mark DeSantos, though, promises to treat the fans much better next season. The only thing that's in my head is always, and it's from the bottom of my heart, is people that are coming to the stadium. People, It's not about me making points or standings. Me, it's all about the people that come to the stadium every day and support this team. We have to give back. We have to give back. All right, so the MLS playoffs begin later this month. Just one Canadian team made it, Toronto FC. They'll play D.C. United. Atlanta will take on New England. Philadelphia plays New York. Those are all single-game eliminations. Then the first round by in the East goes to NYCFC, who finished first in the conference. In the West, it'll be Seattle-Dallas, Real Salt Lake in Portland, Minnesota against the L.A. Galaxy. And the first round by goes to LAFC, who ran away with the supporter shield. 72 points, just four losses in their 34 matches. The playoffs start October 19th. The Canucks opening week tour of Alberta did not go as planned. Two games, two losses, and not a lot of production from the guys they need to score. Canucks had 34 shots last night in Calgary. Not a whole lot of dangerous ones. They fell 3-0 to the Flames to drop to 0-2. The Canucks will play their home opener Wednesday against the L.A. Kings. Yesterday, the Canucks, as mentioned, had a few chances. Nothing a five-bell ringer. J.T. Miller sets up Tyler Myers, but David Riddick made a nice stop here in the Calgary net. It was 1-0 after one. Second period, just over a minute in. Johnny Gaudreau, nice feed to Sean Monahan to make it 2-0 Calgary. The closest the Canucks came to scoring, Jake Vertanen strikes iron right there. 3-0 the final, just two goals scored for the Canucks in their first two games. None by Pedersen, Besser, or Horvat. Well, don't tell the Lions. It's too little too late. They have absolutely no margin for error, and they need a lot of help. But they could still sneak into the playoffs after their abysmal 1-10 start. The Lions are playing the kind of 
Dynamic football now. Everyone was expecting them to play at the start of the season. Last night, BC crushed the Argos 55-8 for their fourth straight win. Sets up, taking a shot. Looking for Berto. Oh, what a catch. Did he get a foot down? He did. What a remarkable catch for Brian Berto. What's the feeling around this team right now? Like we can beat anybody. You know, we're... We're coming together at the right time, and uh, you know, regardless of what's going on outside of this locker room, I know what's going on inside of it, and it's something special. So we're just going to keep doing our thing, handling our business, and uh, back to work tomorrow. Tenth play of the drive, and into the end zone. Touchdown! What a catch! Winning is contagious, and losing is too. Um, you know, and it, when things are kind of going bad for consecutive weeks in a row, it, it seems like. In the back of your mind, as much as you fight it, you're sitting there waiting for the next bad thing to happen, um, which is kind of the rut that we were stuck in earlier in the year. And uh, you know, the the ability's always been there, but uh, but when you play with confidence, you're a much different team. And we have a great core group, and they believe, and we got great pieces, and those guys believed in each other and stuff. When it was only the 12 coaches, the six scouts, and the 60 players, they really thought we we would be okay. And you know, we're still trending in the right direction, and we still got to try to try to get put some together some wins, and we got some formidable opponents down the road, but right now it's about Edmonton. Welcome back. What a year it's been for Calgary's Mike Soroka. The 22-year-old Atlanta Braves rookie went 13-4 and with an outstanding 2.68 ERA. Soroka may only be in his first full year in the majors, but he's got so much poise, nothing seems to bother him. That's why the Braves saved him for Game 3 of the NLDS in enemy territory at Bush Stadium in St. Louis, where the Cards and Braves entered tied at a game apiece in the best of five. Soroka, 142 strikeouts in 174 innings this season, so he's got the stuff, and he showed no nerves early. Struck out his first two hitters that he faced. He gave up a sack fly run in the second, but was otherwise brilliant. Bottom of the six, still one nothing. Strikes out his counterpart, Adam Wainwright, the card starter for his seventh K of the game. Seven innings for Soroka, just two hits allowed, set down 17 in a row at one point. What a debut. It looked like he would be a hard luck loser, but down to their final out, Dansby Swanson with an RBI double off the wall and left tied at 1-1. The former Jay Josh Donaldson, who had doubled to start the inning and replaced with a pinch runner, is loving that in the dugout. And then pinch hitter Adam Duvall later in the inning delivers this two-run single to give the Braves an unlikely comeback win. 3-1 the final. Atlanta leads the series 2-1. Game four is tomorrow in St. Louis where the Braves can wrap it up with a victory. In the other National League series, Dodgers and Nationals also tied 1-1, heading into Game 3 today in D.C. First inning, home team gets on the board. Juan Soto launching a two-run homer to center field. 2-0 Nationals, but the Dodgers have cut into the lead. It's now 2-1 in the sixth. NFL today, Packers and Cowboys, couple of 3-1 teams, marquee matchup of the NFC. Packers came out with purpose. Aaron Jones with the first of his two touchdown runs in the first quarter, 14-0 Green Bay after one. Third quarter, it's Jones one more time, a five-yard run. He actually had another touchdown run from a yard out. He had four touchdowns on the day. The Pack led 31-3, but Dallas does mount a big comeback. Dak Prescott will hit Amari 
Cooper here, and he'll take it all the way. A 53-yard touchdown, cut the lead to 34-24, but that's as close as the Cowboys got as they fall at home to the Packers. Green Bay now 4-1. and one. Also today, Patriots in Washington, New England, looking to stay perfect. They were 17-point favorites, only led 12-7 at halftime, but then kicked it into gear. Tom Brady, 29-yard pass to Brandon Bolden, made it 19-7. Brady threw for 348 yards and three touchdowns. The last strike was to Ryan Izzo. Patriots roll 33-7 to go to 5-0. New England's average margin of victory this season is 24 points. They have been dominant, although they have played a lot of bad teams so far this season. PGA Tour in Las Vegas for the Shriners Hospital for Children Open. Adam Hadwin of Abbotsford sizzling 8-under 63 today, tied for the low round of the day. Finished tied for fourth, won 294000 He finished second last week, so over a million in earnings in his first two events this season. Nick Taylor tied 29th at minus 14. It went to a playoff. Patrick Cantley, Kevin Na. Cantley, though, on the second playoff hole, misses the five-footer for par. So that means Na has a chance for the win. Four feet up the hill and knocks it in for the victory. It is the second time he's won this tournament, and there's nothing more precious than the little daughter run after a PGA player wins his tournament. Premier League, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer side going into today's match against Newcastle with its worst seven-game start to a league season in 30 years. Two wins, two losses, three draws, and Man U supporters were not much happier after today's result as Matthew Longstaff scores the only goal of the match for Newcastle as they win 1-0. United now 12th place. Liverpool is now leads by eight atop the table after Man City also lost today. And World Cup of Rugby. New Zealand and Namibia. This one was as one-sided as you would expect. Namibia stayed relatively close for about 35 minutes, but then the All Blacks put the pedal down. Sebu Reese takes it in. So explosive, this team. They can get you with speed, power, skill. They have it all. They scored 11 tries in the match. The last, this brilliant effort by TJ Paranara. All Blacks win it 71-9. They now lead Pool B with 14 points. Four better than South Africa. Canada plays the South Africans on Tuesday. You know, the God who created you. Oh, thank you. Oh, so cute. Trinity Grace United Church holding its annual Blessing of the Animals service this morning, allowing pet owners a chance to celebrate the gift of animals in their lives and receive a special blessing. Some pets taking the service very seriously. Are you going to be a good girl? Yeah, you got your Sunday hat on. I see that. You got your church hat on. She says, yes. Yes, of course. She's an old girl. Old hat at it. (laughs) No pun intended. (laughs) She's got her fascinator on. I love that. I saw Barry take a quick look at the beginning. He was like, is that a dog? What is it? Yeah. You got to have the fashions if you're going to go in there. Dress appropriately for the service. I think that's what that dog did. (laughs) All right. Uh, Should we dress appropriately tomorrow? When does the sun start coming up? Yes. First off, rainfall for the morning hours, the commute in the morning, and then breaks late in the afternoon, then Tuesday onward. It's fantastic. Chilly, but nice. Oh, I'll take it. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Thanks for watching. Join Jordan tonight at 11. Good night.